Hey, Revolution Church, Pastor Jason here, and I hope you're having a great summer so far. You know, we're several weeks into my sabbatical, and again, I just wanna say thank you for the ability to be able to take this time away. And today, I wanna introduce to you our guest speaker, who's become a good friend of Revolution Church. In fact, he spoke at one of our Abide Nights in February and did a phenomenal job. He's a sharp young leader, and he and his wife, Catherine, planted a growing church called Hope Church in Johns Creek. The church is almost two years old, and God has already been working through them in some pretty amazing ways. In fact, they've already planted two other churches out of their church. Now that is some multiplication. They were recently given a building from another church that ironically had the same name as the street of our Canton campus, Union Hill. I just thought that was cool. Chris is a great friend of mine and someone I spend time with regularly to invest in and we as a church support. I'm so excited for Chris to be back again to speak. So please join me in welcoming Pastor Chris Renfro to the stage. Come on, everybody. Well, good morning, Revolution. So glad to be here with you. And I just wanna take a moment to say that I am so grateful for Pastor Jason. Uh, he's been a great influence in my life, a great encouragement and a great supporter as your church has been as well. And Pastor Jason's one of those guys I can just sit with over lunch and two hours can go by and it feels like it's a blink of an eye because he just invests so much wisdom into me and into our church plant. So my name is Chris Renfro. Uh, my family, we planted a church called Hope Church over in Alpharetta uh, almost two years ago. And I just wanna come give you an update. I was here at the Abide Night in February and I was telling you a little bit of our story. Uh, a year ago in February, we were doing 28 days of prayer and we were praying for a place to meet, a building for our church to meet in. We were set up and tear down ever since we started and we had prayed last February in 2022 for a building and God answered that prayer, except it was a building in Roswell, which was about 35 minutes away from us and so we didn't know what to do with it, but we took the building and we said, well, we'll try to plant another church out there. And we've done that, uh, just sent out a church a couple weeks ago, I'll tell you about. And uh, then we, this February, said, we're gonna start praying a lot more specifically, because uh, God answers prayers, but we need a building on the east side of 400. And so right after that Abide Night, there's actually a church over in our community that approached us and uh, talked to us about merging together and uh, we did that, spent February, March, and April talking to them and did that. We've actually had five Sundays there. This morning, our church is gathering for the sixth time at our own building on the east side of 400. Uh, it was called Union Hill. So we, uh, they merged in with us and we became Hope Church Union Hill. Uh, this was what our first service looked like together there as we worshiped. Uh, and it's just been really cool. The past five Sundays have been the five highest attended Sundays in the history of our church. Uh, our children's ministry has almost tripled in, in size in the past five weeks, and it's just been cool, so cool to see what God's done. And then we were actually able to send out that church called Willio River to Roswell and had a sending service for them on our third Sunday there and was able to send Tyler and his wife, Natalie, uh, sent, sent them off with 100 confetti cannons out front, and it was just one of the sweetest moments for our church to be able to continue to send and we know that it's your heart as a church to multiply and to plant churches and to support church plants. And I just want you to know that when you give to Revolution, by being a part of Revolution, by praying for Revolution, you are a part of multiplication that's happening all across North Atlanta uh, as people are coming to know Christ. And so I just wanna say thank you. Uh, I also wanna say God does answer prayer. 
Uh, God answers prayer. And you may be here for the first time. You may not really know that or believe that, but I just want you to know when you pray, God hears and God answers. And so I wanna kick off our time this morning together by inviting the Holy Spirit here and by praying over this time. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your church. And we know that there are millions, if not billions of people gathered all over the world this morning, worshiping in homes and worshiping in small buildings and large buildings. We know that you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are about the big C church. So Lord, we thank you for the gift of your church and the gift of your word. And I just ask right now that we would be able to feast on your word this morning, that it would, that it would penetrate our hearts, and that we have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter seven as we're in the parables. We're gonna be in a parable in Luke chapter seven, verse 36. And you may have heard the phrase, looks can be deceiving. Sometimes you see something that just looks amazing. About a month ago, my wife and I were celebrating our 12-year anniversary, and we spent just a couple days up in New York City doing the tourist thing, went to Broadway play and all that stuff, and doing the things that she really loved to do. And so we're staying in Times Square at a hotel and come downstairs, right outside of our hotel was a bakery called the European Bakery. And I'm walking by it. And you may not know this about me, but I love chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate chip cookies are one of my favorite desserts in the world. And we walk by and I see in the window this chocolate chip cookie and it stopped me in my tracks. I, I have to have that chocolate chip cookie. Like there's nothing else. If I don't get anything for our anniversary, Catherine, I just want this chocolate chip cookie. And she's, of course, we walk in the bakery and I'm so excited. I mean, I go in, this thing's been in the window and they're stacked up and I get my chocolate chip cookie and the lady puts it in the bag and we take it back up to the hotel room and I'm so excited and I open that thing up and I go to take one bite and it just crumbled in my mouth. I mean, it was a million pieces, hard as a rock, thought I broke a tooth, and I was so disappointed. I was hoping for and expecting this warm chocolate chip cookie with these chocolate chips. The chocolate chips weren't even sweet. I mean, it was just a disaster. I felt like I'd been in that window for about three months, you know? I'm like, I've been had. Whatever you do, if you get nothing else from the sermon, if you ever go to Times Square and you see the European Bakery, do not get the chocolate chip cookie. It's a disaster. Looks gonna be deceiving. It's a fact of life. What we find in the Gospels is that although looks can be deceiving, Jesus sees the heart. And Jesus came not for those who look good, but for the sinners. Because as I've titled this sermon today, and we'll see in this passage, Jesus loves sinners. By Matthew 9, 12 through 13, Jesus would tell a man who he had healed, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he tells the Pharisees in that moment, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And one of the many places 
that this is revealed in the Gospels comes here in Luke chapter 7. And he tells this parable of two debtors. And a parable, as you have heard, and I'm sure as Pastor David shared and some of the others, uh, it's Jesus bringing in his disciples and sitting around the fire. And sometimes he does that by just teaching a lesson to his disciples one-on-one. Sometimes he does that, and it's, it's more of an active story of something that's happening, and they see it right there. And this is what's called an active parable because it's happening in the moment. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Parable is a, it's a short story with a moral lesson. Here's the moral lesson that he teaches. Let's read this passage together. Starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering him, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The challenge today is to recognize our own sin and to embrace grace. When we do, it leads to humility and gratitude for our Savior. I wanna share with you three spiritual truths that this sinful woman recognized that the religious man did not. The first is this, what I do speaks louder than what I say. Luke 7, 36 to 38, the story begins. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. You have this man, he's a Pharisee, his name's Simon. Pharisee's a religious man. He had spent his life studying the word, memorizing the word. They'd broken their God's law down into 613 different rules that they followed. 
Our Lee would have been the most moral person you've ever met. Like a pastor, but a really good pastor that actually did all this stuff, right? Like just really, really moral guy. Most moral person you've ever met in your life. And while they're eating, based on the other accounts, this was likely during Passover, and it says they reclined at table. And you read that, it says it three times in there. You're like, reclined at table, is that like a typo? Does my Bible have a typo? No, it's an action, it's actually a verb. And this is something that actually happened during ceremonial feasts, it was a big deal, and they would sit at a low table, and they would recline back, and they would rest, and they would eat with one hand while they talked, and they would celebrate whatever feast was happening in that moment. And it was uh, probably incredibly frustrating for everyone there. They're reclining, you think about this. This wasn't something that was taken from the Old Testament. It was taken from a tradition from Rome. Because only free people and only people who were living a life of luxury could recline while they were eating. And so what's happening here during this feast is it's a flex. They're not just flexing against Egypt during the Feast of Passover to say, we're no longer slaves of you, but they're also flexing against Rome, this Roman tradition where they sit back and they recline at table and they're eating. They're saying, you don't own us and you don't control us and we're free. So this tradition that was taken, they do during these ceremonial feasts and they do all this stuff. But what we see is not everyone feels free in this story. A woman's introduced, and she's broken, she's hurting. And I want you to imagine this picture. She comes and she makes her way to Jesus' feet. And it says she's a woman of the city. You probably don't need the Greek to understand what that means. She comes and weeps at Jesus' feet. So much so that she wets them with her tears enough to wash the dirt off and anoints his feet with his ointment. It's the most valuable gift that she has. See, not everybody in the story feels free. Not everybody's living a life of luxury. Not everybody's enjoying their time right here. What about you? You came into Revolution Church this morning, you're watching online. Everybody around you looks like they're having a great time. They're free, they're enjoying it, they're worshiping, they're raising their hands, they're singing hallelujah and woo, not you. You're hurting. You're broken. You're tired. You're weary. Your past has caught up to you. And you feel in bondage. That's where this woman is as she comes to Jesus. There's an old pastor named John Watson. He said, be kind for everyone you meet is carrying a heavy burden. There's not a lot of kindness happening in Luke 7. The other accounts, all four gospels, list this account. And what we see in some of the others is that for the disciples, this whole encounter was incredibly frustrating. For the host and the religious people in the room, 
It was at the very least shocking, if not scandalous, that Jesus would not only let a woman touch him, but a woman of the city. But really for everyone there, it must have just been terribly awkward. Like the honest truth is, most of us don't know how to respond in that situation. You've got a crying lady at dinner washing somebody's feet. Like that's not the greatest Thanksgiving memory, right? You don't do that. Somebody starts crying at the Thanksgiving table, you're like, I'm out. I'm going to them watching football where it's, y'all do your thing. I'm out of here, right? It's just awkward. But I love how this woman just had gone to the point that she didn't care what people thought. And I think there's a point in your life when you experience Jesus and you're so desperate for him that you just stop caring what people think. The person sitting next to you, the person in your house, the person at your workplace, wherever it is, you don't care what they think because you love Jesus so much and you've experienced his grace and you are desperate for him. I don't feel like I have many skills in ministry, but I feel like if I have one skill, it's the skill of desperation. Like, if you ever plant a church or go on the mission field, you reek of desperation, like you just do. Like you need help in every turn. You need people to come or it doesn't work out. You need people to give or it doesn't work out. You need people to serve or it doesn't work out. You need help in how to prepare a sermon or it doesn't work out. Like you just are desperate and I just am so desperate for the Lord. We prayed two years ago for a building and the Lord jokingly gave us a building in the wrong city. We're like, okay, great. And we're desperate. We literally had nowhere to meet. We were down to two weeks left in our, in our place that we were meeting. And we had nowhere to go. And the Lord shows up at the last minute and provides a place. And I just had to keep telling our team, I hope God provides. I hope God provides. Like, God's gonna show up. God's gonna show up. God's gonna show up. And he did. Not long after that, there was another thing that we were praying for in our church. And we needed somebody to lead our student ministry. And we had no one at the time. And I was praying and we needed somebody really bad. And I just remember going to one of our elders. I was like, man, we just gotta pray for this. And we started praying. And at the last minute, I mean, this incredible story, somebody showed up and God provided. And I remember talking to our, um, one of our elders and he just, he said, man, what's it like to, God, to have God always show up in just the nick of time? And I said, it's very stressful. <laughs> Because for some reason, like, God's never early with me. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I just wish for once he would be early. But he always shows up. And you know what? I still doubt. I still struggle. I'm still wondering. Like, we're a church plant that's been giving two buildings in less than two years. We've been able to plant a couple churches, which should not happen for a church plant. And yet I still question and I still doubt and I still worry. Just a few weeks ago, we have no parking in our place and we were running out of parking. We need to buy a golf cart. And I was like, I don't know how we're gonna get a golf cart. And it was like, I just don't know that this is gonna happen. And I remember thinking and being convicted, like God's like, I gave you a building. Do you not think I can provide a golf cart? And I was like, I don't know. Golf carts are hard to come by, you know? <laughs> and I doubt, and I doubt. And the Lord provides. Time and time again, last Sunday, we had a golf cart for the first time, transporting people back and forth. Like, and the Lord just shows up. You just are desperate. You see him show up. 
For this woman, there's a moment of spiritual intimacy with the one that she recognized to be her savior. You see, she recognized something that everyone else in the room did not. And when Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that he actually meant it. That was a great sermon for the disciples who heard it, but for her, it was something she lived, she experienced, she knew. She was in the presence of the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the forgiver of her sins, her healer, her redeemer, her savior. And it led to a response that to others may have seemed radical, but to her it was natural. I'm just going to give him all that I can and all that I have. I may not have much to give, but I'm gonna pour out and give him all that I have. And I get the sense that there are a lot of people who would invite Jesus over for a dinner party. That would be awesome. But they wouldn't fall down on their knees and worship him as their savior. And they've, they've missed, or we have missed, the gratitude that comes from being saved of our sin. The nastiness and the dirtiness and the depravity of our sin. One of the characteristics of the Christian life is gratitude. Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. One of them comes back and thanks him. Samaritan. He's like, what, did I not heal nine? And only one of you, a foreigner comes back to say thank you? Shocking to Jesus that only one would come and respond with gratitude. You see, gratitude is fueled by affection. Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan preacher in the 1800s, he wrote a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I wanna read a little part for you. He said, seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear by process of extinction through reasoning or by the mere force of mental determination. Reason and willpower are not enough, but what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Until you're melted by the amazing sight, knowledge, and sense of Jesus taking the fire for you, you cannot have the transformation of identity. You can't just decide, I think I'm going to change my identity. It can't be done. It has to be an experience of love. My question for you is, have you experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ? A couple of months ago, my son was sitting on his bed, and as we do just about every night, go in to pray with him and get to have some great conversations with him there. My son's seven and a half years old, and we're sitting down, and we start this spiritual conversation, and he he asked me this question. He said, Dad, how do I get baptized? And we had some people in our church that had recently gotten baptized and he was able to see it. And he said, how do I get baptized? I said, well, buddy, I said, baptism is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. I said, do you know who Jesus is? And he said, yes, he's God's son. I said, do you know what Jesus did? And he said, he died for our sins. And I said, do you know what sin is? And he said, yeah, it's, it's bad things. So I said, well, what are some examples of sin? You know, and in his mind, he's like, oh, he's stealing crayons or 
not cleaning your room or whatever. And I said, yeah, some, okay, now what else? Like disobedience, like what, what are some others? And we started talking through some lists of sins and things and he's processing in his mind sins. And I remember I was thinking, I was in my heart, I was, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, is he ready? Is he ready? And I asked him this question, I said, that's right, buddy. I said, have you ever sinned? And y'all, without missing a beat, my kind, sweethearted son said, you sin. <laughs> I thought, he's ready. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not kidding. That's Adam. That's Adam. The moment the mirror gets turned on you, it's Eve's fault. It's the serpent's fault. It's not me. I said, yeah, you're right, buddy. I do sin. And that's why Jesus died for my sins. He sat there and he thought and he processed and he put his head down. He said, yeah, dad, I do sin. And he said, I need Jesus to save me. I got my wife, brought her in. We talked to him and walked through the gospel. And in his own words, he prayed for Jesus to save him from his sins. Because sin became real to him in that moment. It wasn't something that just bad people do in the world. He recognized that he was a sinner and that he needed Jesus to save him from his own personal sins. It's when you're truly faced with the depravity of your sin that you have gratitude for your savior. Second thing is that gratitude leads to action. This ointment or this vase, this small vase where it would have had a, a very expensive perfume, says it was worth a year's wages in some of the other gospel accounts. You're like, well, how much is that? I don't know. How much do you make in a year? Probably somewhere around that much. It was a lot. The point is, it was a lot. And we'll do crazy things for the ones that we truly love. Ask any man who's ever bought an engagement ring, right? Like, you'll do crazy things. You'll give up. Michael Scott, three years salary, right? You'll do crazy things for the ones that we love. That was a joke, by the way. If you don't get it, inside joke, it's fine. But I wanna get the best that I possibly can. I wanna give the best that I possibly can. The true measure of gratitude is what you give up to give it. And we see that gratitude activates emotion. How many tears do you have to cry to wash someone's feet? A lot. A lot, of, a lot of tears. Probably some snot in there. You know, Jesus is like, look at that later. <laughs> like, a lot of tears. Do we feel it anymore? Honestly, though, do we feel it? We sing the songs and we worship, but do we feel it? Have we experienced it? The grace of our Lord and Savior. named Sherry Turkle, she wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. It was particularly about the effects of social media on children. Any children in the room on social media, this is an attack on you, just on, you're probably on TikTok right now, but it's fine. So she says this, research tells us that being comfortable with our vulnerabilities is central to our happiness, our creativity, and even our productivity. She says, we're drawn to this message, weary it would seem, of our culture of continual performance. 
Yet life on social media encourages us to show ourselves as invulnerable or as with as little vulnerability as possible. So we're torn between our desire to express an authentic self and the pressure to show our best selves. It is not surprising that frequent use of social media leads to feelings of depression, social anxiety, and trouble with empathy. Research shows that those who frequently use social media have the most difficulty reading human, human emotion, including their own. So she says, in a world where children are constantly plugged in online, they begin to become emotionally robotic. Just middle of the road. Don't show too much negative emotion. Don't show too much positive emotion. This isn't an attack on social media, but what I think happens is I think that happens to us spiritually as well. We don't cry tears of sadness for our sin anymore. We don't cry tears of gratitude for our Savior. And we don't want others to do it either because it's awkward. And internally, we think things just like, whatever you do, just don't get weird for Jesus. And this woman wept, but Jesus worked. Isn't it interesting that she never says a word in this entire account? Not a single word is recorded from her mouth, but her heart revealed her faith. What I do speaks louder than what I say because Jesus sees the heart and he hears the words of the heart. Second thing is this, what I've done does not define who I am. What I do speaks louder than what I say, what I've done does not define who I am. Verses 39 to 43. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. This is where he tells the parable, very short parable in this passage, but he says, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. Can I tell you this morning how others see you is not how God sees you. The others in this story, particularly Simon, from him we see internal judgment because of his religious rules and all of his knowledge and all of his morality. He had concluded that Jesus could not be the prophet or the good teacher that he claimed to be because if he were that good of a person, he would have known the type of woman who was touching him. And I love Jesus knowing his thoughts, like responds to him while looking at the woman, talking to him. He responds to him and he tells this parable to reveal Simon's blindness. This passage does not deal with the amount of sin in a person's life. It deals rather with the awareness of the sin in their heart. How much sin does a person have to commit to be a sinner? One sin. The difference was her sins were known, his were hidden. The reality is they were both bankrupt before God and they couldn't pay a debt. Simon just didn't know it. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. One is too many. And it 
It results in a debt that you cannot pay on your own. Reality is it's pride that's the biggest barrier to intimacy with God. Simon's problem was his blindness. It was easy for him to look at her and say, she's a sinner, but impossible for him to look into his own heart and say, I'm a sinner too. And can I just take a moment to tell you this morning, God does not need your help identifying other people's sins. So what about you? Does your knowledge of someone affect your perception of their spiritual potential? Jesus would say in Matthew 7, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. That's not a parable, by the way. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Friend, I want you to hear me say this this morning. Jesus loves people with a reputation. Jesus loves to save sinners. And we're all sinners. He would tell another parable, very similar to this, shortly after, that I think probably flowed out of this encounter. It's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. It says that he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and yet they treated others with contempt. It says two men went up to a temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Would have been a pretty bad dude in that time. It said the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. Look at what I do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the irony of the gospel is that those who think they're good are far worse off than those who know they're not. There's a Latin phrase, esse quam videri, which means to be rather than to appear to be. And Jesus wants people to be righteous rather than to appear to be righteous. And righteousness comes only from Christ. So if your righteousness is in how much you give or how much you serve or how good you are or your mama or your daddy or your uncle was a preacher one time, Listen, you're gonna find yourself outside looking in on the kingdom of God. Simon was blind to the woman and he was blind to himself. He saw her past, but Jesus saw her future. What you've done does not define who you are, Jesus does. And when he's defined who you are, he'll develop who you'll be. And that's where freedom is. Why? Because Jesus sees your heart. Others may see your past, but Jesus sees your heart. It leads to the last point, I'll go quickly, is that surrender leads to salvation. Verses 44 to 50, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, 
She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We've been saying all along, Jesus sees the heart. He sees the heart, but he also exposes the heart. And that's what he does here in this encounter. First, he exposes Simon's heart. Customs of the day for any guest, but particularly an honored guest, would have been a kiss on the cheek, water for the feet, anointing on the head. So Jesus re rebukes the high-class person who showed low-class honor while praising the low-class person who showed high-class honor. He shows that this woman, who may have been considered the least spiritual in the room, has the greatest spiritual awareness. Isn't that often the case? It's children. It's not the theologically educated, nothing wrong with that, I went to seminary, but it's, it's those who are, have simple faith, just trust and believe, trust and obey. Every, everything that Simon neglected to do, the woman did, and she did it even better. Do you know why? Because Jesus, or because Simon saw Jesus as a teacher. She saw Jesus as her savior. How they viewed him determined how they treated him. And finally, he exposes the woman's heart. He says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, directly to her, your sins are forgiven. He closes with the most encouraging words. Everybody else in the room, they're asking, how does he even do that? He's, who is this gonna forgive sins? And he explains, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. My three favorite words in this entire passage are the words, which are many. God is not soft on sin, but he is so strong on grace. And I feel like I will hear those words one day standing before my Savior. Chris, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Hear me say this. Both the prostitute and the pastor are in equal need of God's grace. Simon had his religion. The woman had Christ. He's far better. The whole point of this sermon is that Jesus loves sinners and Jesus forgives sins. He made it clear. It was, it was the faith that saved the woman. It wasn't her tears, wasn't her ointment, wasn't her humility, her sacrifices, wasn't raising her hands at the right time in the song. It wasn't any of that. It was her faith. Because of that faith, she could walk out of there with a new life and for the first time in her life with true peace. What about you? Who do you identify with in this story that determines everything for you spiritually? Alan Redpath wrote a book called The Making of the Man of God. He said, what many of us need today is a burning examination of the Holy Spirit, which may be bitter to the taste, but it may awaken us to the disaster of imagining that we're Christians when there's no evidence in our lives of his grace. 
And you may have come in the room today feeling like the worst sinner. Others may even know your sin and they view you that way. But in God's eyes, there's no worse sinner. The point of this story is not worrying about whether you're a debtor with 50 denarii debt or a 500 denarii debt. The point of this parable in this story is that we're all debtors. There are only those who are forgiven and there are those who are too prideful to think that they need forgiveness. As we close today, my hope is that all of us would surrender to Christ to express the gratitude, humility, and love that this woman did because we've experienced his grace. You're in the room and you are a follower of Jesus and you know there's been a time when he has saved you from your sins. It may look like showing a little more gratitude and a little more grace to others. But you may be in the room today and you may just feel broken. When I said those words earlier, you thought, that's me. And I need Jesus to save me, just like he saved that woman. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I just wanna ask that simple question. Is there anyone in the room that needs Jesus to save them? You're at the point in life, you're like, I'm not embarrassed about it, I'm not worried about it, I don't care what anyone else thinks, I need Jesus to save me right now. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see you? No one else is looking around. You're like, I need Jesus. I'm broken and I'm hurting. Would you just raise your hand so I can see and I can pray for you? If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer right now in your heart, in your own words. God, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. Would you come into my life and give me a new heart and a new life? Would you change me and save me right now? In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite you to continue to pray and you may be here today and you may be a follower of Jesus you just need prayer. Something going on in your life. You just need someone to pray for you. There's a prayer team here. I just, and I'd like to pray for you right now if I can. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see nobody else is looking around. But if you just need prayer this morning, can I pray for you? I see you. I see you. I see you. I want to pray for you, God. We're so grateful for your grace. We have all fallen short of your glory and we all desperately need you. So Lord, I pray for those who are here, who are hurting, who are broken, who need healing. Lord, would you save, would you help, would you heal through your power? We are so grateful for you and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Revolution.